Well, if you would, this morning I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 9. And what I want to do this morning is I want to get right into our outline this morning and our first point this morning is another new year. On this last Sunday in December, we are poised to enter into a new year. A year of our lives is about to pass, never to return again. We can't change the past. We should never live in the past, but we can and should always learn from the past. The end of a year, and I try to do this every year on this last Sunday, I personally think it's very important. The end of the year can potentially be an important time of reflection and meditation and prayer. It can be, this can be an important time for you to think about you and your relationship with the Lord. We instinctively know that life is short and that our days are passing swiftly. But we rarely take the time to do a careful inventory and evaluation of our lives. And the reason we don't is not because we don't want to, not because we don't think it's important, but I, fa- I find this amazing in my own life. We just keep busy. We just keep busy. I often share this at gravesides when I do funerals. We just don't take time to think about the passing of our lives and how God could take us from this earth at any time, but we need to think about those things. They're healthy to think about. They're good to think about. They cause us to reflect upon our priorities. We know that life is passing swiftly. The Bible is filled with verses that talk about this. In Psalm 103 and verses 15 and 16, David says, as a man, excuse me, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. It is here, grows, and it is gone. In Psalm 90 and verse 12, a psalm of Moses. Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Oh Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me that my life is short so that, so that I may get a heart of wisdom. One of the reasons I had them play that video clip this morning is because we tend to evaluate other areas of our lives. We tend to say, how am I doing? It's amazing how many people are saying, you know, I want to exercise, I want to diet, I want to, you know, maybe they're evaluating their their job, maybe evaluating some of the things at home, but one of the things we least ask is, how am I doing spiritually? How did I do this year? How did you do this year? 
How did you do spiritually in 2015? It's now about to pass away. Do you have spiritual goals, spiritual desires for 2016? I don't say that in any way to lay a guilt trip on you. That's not my purpose at all this morning. But rather, it's a good thing. What, what, what are some things you would like to do spiritually? What are areas where you would like to grow in 2016? I would really encourage you to pray about those things and to think about those things. Think of that classic passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, when the Bible says something like that, but this, but one thing I do, but one thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What a great thought for this time of year, for this Sunday. And if you remember nothing else this morning, if you walk away from this auditorium and you don't remember anything else after this sermon is done, the one thing I want you to remember is this, you can change. You can change by the power of the Holy Spirit using the word of God in your life, you can change. If you don't think you can change, if you're just gonna resign yourself to well and you can't teach an old dog new tricks, if you're just gonna resign yourself, you will severely cripple your Christian life. I don't care whether you're 19 or 90, you can change. And 2016 can be a year of change in your life. Well, our second point this morning is really the thrust of this message. It's six lessons from Philippians 4. Six lessons from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 9. And as I go through these six things, you will see that they are content-packed and each and every one of them could be a separate sermon. I fully realize that as I share these things with you this morning. But I want to do something a little different this morning and lay these things out for you as a challenge. Six things, six areas of potential change and potential growth in my life and in every one of your lives this morning. First, stand firm in the Lord. In 2016, stand firm in the Lord. In verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I want you to stand firm in Jesus. I want you to stand firm in the word of God. I want you to stand firm in the essential doctrines and truths of the Christian faith. That's what this means here. That's what Paul is saying to all of us. Stand firm no matter what happens. Actually, Verse 1 is a military metaphor. It is the picture of a soldier who's standing at his post and he's been given orders and he will not stray from those orders. There is gunfire all around him. 
There are bombs that are going off. The enemy is approaching, but he will not betray his orders. He will stay at his post. He will stand firm. And that is what Paul is saying here. This is a very important truth for Paul. Just listen with me. You don't have to turn to these passages. But just listen how consistent this is in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, stand firm, let nothing move you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, stand firm in the faith. Galatians 5, 1, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Ephesians 6, 14, stand firm with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit. Colossians 4.12, stand firm in all the will of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you. Stand firm, my brother. Stand firm, my sister, in 2016. And know this, you will be tempted and you will be tested. You will be. I will be. I don't know what those, all of those temptations and tests are going to be like. Maybe they will be old sins that will seek to crop up in my life. Maybe they will be new things that I didn't anticipate. But I must and you must stand firm in the faith. There is an old saying that comes from the colonial days. In the United States. And it's a phrase called stay in the traces. During the colonial days when there would be a new dirt road in their horse-drawn carriages, the first carriages that would go down these dirt roads would cause ruts to be indented into the, the road, especially if there was rain or bad weather. And so over a period of time, these ruts, these wheel-width ruts would be paved or... Uh, indented into the ground and so everyone who came later if you wanted to drive your carriage in a safe and fairly swift way they would tell you stay in the traces stay in the traces and that's a wonderful picture of the Christian life Chris your song this morning goes along beautifully with this may all who come behind us find us faithful May they be able to travel in their wagons in the traces, excuse me, that we've left for them. Stay in the traces. Stay in the word of God. Stay in the essential truths of the Christian life. In fact, I can tell you this morning, the central will of God for your life in 2016 is to stay in the faith. It's to stay in the faith. Oh, the will of God for you in this year to come may be multifaceted, but at the heart of it, it is to stand firm in the Lord. Second, second thought this morning, a second challenge for us. Seek to repair broken or damaged relationships. And this is a tender one. This is a sensitive one. In verses 2 and 3, at the church at Philippi, in this very real church with very real people. Paul writes, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored 
side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. A couple of things are obvious here. Number one, or maybe not totally obvious to us, but it's clear if you read any commentary on the book of Philippians, these are two female names. So these are two women, and they are both Christians because their names are written in the book of life. They are godly women because they have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. But it appears that these two women have had some kind of serious falling out. I like what one writer said. He said it's probably true that they were determined, hardworking, and very opinionated. And they each believed they were right or had their own way of how they were going to do something. Paul doesn't tell us what the issues are, and Paul doesn't take sides. But he does say this, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. I entreat you to lay aside your differences and to come together as sisters in Christ. For the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, you need to settle your differences. I think it's very possible in a crowd this size that there are some of you who have conflicts with other Christians. Maybe in this church. Maybe it's somebody outside this church. And in 2016, it may be that God is imploring you to make that right. It may not be easy. In fact, it may be very hard. But God wants you to make that right with that person. One Christian counselor offers a six-fold plan. Again, a lot of different things could be added to this. I just give you this as an example. An example for healing broken or damaged relationships. Number one, separate convictions from opinions. Is what you're disputing about clearly taught in the Word of God or is it just your personal preference or just your opinion? Second, be willing to ask for forgiveness. Third, look for opportunities to show kindness to the person with whom you disagree. Fourth, pray for the success of the other person. Five, ask God to remove the bitterness from your heart. And six, ask a friend to hold you accountable in this area of your life for making this relationship right. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, there is a very convicting verse. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Maybe the greatest challenge before you this morning is to go to someone with whom you have a serious disagreement. Let us seek this year, this coming year, to repair broken or damaged relationships. Third, determined to rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 4, 
Maybe the most famous verse in this section, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We're going to see in the next couple of things that I share with you that Paul likes to use all-encompassing words that includes everyone all the time. Notice he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And do you know it is? It is your strength. Your strength is your joy in the Lord. It is a joy and a strength that sustains you through the most difficult and strenuous times of your life. Now the joy of the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord always is not, it is not put on a happy face. It is not look for the silver lining in every situation. Rather, it is a joy that comes from knowing Christ and who you are in him. It is a joy that comes from knowing Christ and knowing who you are in him, rejoicing in my Savior. He is my treasure. He is my joy. He is my pleasure. He is my ever-present help in time of need. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Though all others abandon me, Christ is always there for me. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord always. And think of Paul here. He wrote this from a Roman prison. And according to the culture and custom of the day, it is most likely that he was chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day with very little likelihood at this particular point that he was going to be set free. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. I know we say this at Thanksgiving and we say this at Christmas, but we should say it throughout the year. Praise the Lord and count your blessings. Praise him for your salvation. Praise him for your forgiveness. Praise him that you have great hope beyond the grave. Many of you here this morning have a spouse that loves you. You have children that love you. You have parents that love you. You have food on your table. You live a relatively safe and secure life. Oh, you may not be wealthy and you may not be famous, but you have so much to rejoice over. Let us determine in 2016 that we will rejoice in the Lord always. Fourth, let your reasonable and gentle spirit be known to everyone. In verse 5 we read, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. There's one of those all-encompassing words again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, the word reasonableness here is a Greek word that I read multiple places. It's very difficult to translate. It's difficult because it is such a full and rich Greek word that there is no single English word that fully captures what that Greek word means. 
In the English Standard Version, which I am preaching from, it says reasonableness. I memorized this section a number of years ago in the New International Version, the 84 edition, where it says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. The New King James Version also translates it as gentleness. The New American Standard Version has it as gentle spirit. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it as graciousness. And in this particular case, the different translations are a good thing because they help us to see the fullness and beauty of this word. But let's just use the word gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. What a challenge for 2016. Did you know that people want their church leaders to be gentle? Did you know that? Oh, they want them to be strong in the faith, to stand on the word of God. But they also want them to be gentle. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications for an elder, a pastor or a lay elder, is they must be gentle and not quarrelsome. A deacon must not be a slanderer. He must be blameless. We want church leaders who are gentle with us in this sinful and fallen world that we live in. It's interesting, I was reading an article on the website Nine Marks, and it was ten different pastors who were sharing their thoughts on how they choose church leaders, elders, deacons. And what really stood out to me is they said, it was men like John MacArthur, Sinclair Ferguson, and others, won't name them all, but one thing that stood out to me is they said, do not choose a man who is argumentative, who wants to debate everything, who wants to split hairs, who is rigid on things that aren't biblical, who has a hard time working as a team with other men. Do not choose them. And here's what they said. This is what I found so interesting. They may be very intelligent. They may have a really good grasp of the word of God. They may know their Bibles really well. But if they are quarrelsome, if they are not gentle, they said, do not choose them. In every church, I think from time to time, every pastor or pastors, depending on the church, is going to be accused of only choosing yes men. You may have heard that before. Oh, they only choose yes men to be elders or to be deacons. And I would say in the vast, vast majority of churches that is not true. However, however, those leaders we choose must be gentle. They must not be quarrelsome. They cannot be slanderers and they must be blameless. Or they cannot be a church leader. They cannot. And we want this not only in our church leaders, we want this in all of our important relationships. We do. Men, you need to understand this morning, 
Your wives want their husbands to be gentle. They do. Oh, yes, they want you to be a spiritual leader. They want you to stand or to have a, a good walk with the Lord, but they want you to be gentle. Ladies, ladies, your husbands want wives with gentle spirits. When a wife is harsh or mean with her husband, she humiliates him and she causes him to become discouraged. Parents, your children want you to be firm and they want you to be consistent, but above all, they want you to be gentle. They do. We want this in all of our important relationships. Now, let me just say this morning, don't say, well, some people have that personality and some people don't. Don't go there. Don't go there. This is for everyone. No exceptions, no exemptions, okay? You see what he says? Let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. There is no one of us here this morning that is excluded because of our personality type. Let me ask you a question. Would the people who know you best describe you as a gentle person? It's not so much what do I think about myself or what do you think about yourself, but what do others think about you? Here's a more difficult question. Would the people with whom you have disagreements, would they describe you as a gentle person? Would they say, she may disagree with me, but she does so in a gentle way? He may disagree with me, but he does so in a gentle way. 2016, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And then it says, the Lord is at hand. When it says the Lord is at hand, it's twofold. First of all, it means the Lord is there with you, holding you accountable, there to help you. The Lord himself is right here. Let your gentleness, let your reasonableness be evident to all because the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. But it also means something else. It also means the Lord is coming. At any time the Lord could return. Oh, my brother, oh, my sister, Paul is saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. Fifth, fifth, pray about everything. Pray about everything in 2016. Verses 6 and 7, another familiar section. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, or excuse me, be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow, you talk about a difficult command. It could be translated, and you know this well, and so do I. 
It could be translated, do not worry about anything. Boy, Paul uses those big words, you know, anything. Do not worry about anything. Now, I've shared with you in the past, in my own personal life, one of my struggles, one of the sins that I wrestle with on a regular basis is worry. Not so much am I worried about what's going to happen to our nation, but I worry about plans and details, and is this covered, and did we think about that, and uh, did someone take care of that, and I worry about those things, and this is a rebuke to me. This is convicting to people like me, and maybe you're someone who struggles in this area. It says, do not worry about anything. But maybe your area of worry is a little different than mine. Maybe you do worry about our nation. I'm guessing there's a number of people here this morning, and you're all wound up about where America's headed. And your stomach's all tied up in knots about who's going to be the next president. It says, do not worry about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And here's why. But in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with a heart that is filled with gratefulness and gratitude, let your requests be known to God. Did you know that God wants you to replace your worry with prayer? God wants me and you to replace our worries with prayer. Every time we are prone to worry, pray instead. The thought is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Surrender to him every minute of every day and cast all your burdens on him. That's the thought. Trust in him with all your heart. Surrender, yield to him every minute of every day and then cast all your burdens on him. And if you do that, if I do that, he makes this great promise to us and the peace of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says this. He says it to me. He says it to all of you. Give me your worry and I'll give you my peace. Give me your worries and I will give you my peace. When it says this, the peace of God will guard your hearts, it's another military metaphor. It means there's a battalion of soldiers protecting the city. Don't worry about anything. They've got it. They've got the city protected. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful couple of verses. In 2016, let's resolve together to pray about everything. About everything. Sixth, final one. Sixth, think pure thoughts. In 2016, let us think pure thoughts. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't it interesting if you put verse 7 and verse 9 together, we are promised the peace of God and the God of peace. Isn't that great? We are promised the peace of God and the God of peace. And when it says that he will be with you, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. It just means you will live in the full joy and acknowledgement that the God of peace is with you. And he is with you every second of every minute of every day. We often say that sin begins in the mind, and it does. But so does a godly and holy life. If you really desire in 2016 to live a godly and holy life, it begins right here. It begins in the mind. Whatever is true, think about it. Whatever is honorable, think about it. Whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. And Paul says, I modeled them for you. You learned and received and heard and saw these things in me. And now I want you to put them into practice. I want you to put them into practice. You know what's really beautiful about verse 8? That's Jesus. Think about Jesus and you will think about all those things. Isn't that great? Think about your Savior and you will think about what is pure, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, etc. It's all encompassed in him. And really, all of the previous five things that I shared with you all begin in the mind. With our thought life, stand firm in the Lord begins with our thought life. Seek to repair broken or damaged relationships. What would happen this year if we said, I refuse to think bitter, angry, gossiping thoughts about other people. What would happen if we did that? If we're going to rejoice in the Lord, it begins with a mind, a mind, a thought life that is filled with thoughts of Christ and filled with gratitude to the Lord. Let your reasonable and gentle spirit be known to everyone. It begins here, a determination that I will be in Christ by his power, a gentle person. And prayer begins with our thought life. Oh Lord, help me, remind me every day, don't worry but pray, don't worry but pray, don't worry but pray. I want to end as I began. You can change. If you know Christ is your Savior this morning, you can change. You can be different. Do not See yourself as a helpless victim. You are not. Every single one of us, myself at the top of the list, let us know in Christ we can change, we can be different. And I hope all of us want to be different in 2016. Don't be content to stay on the plateau of your spiritual life. Let us strive, let us hunger, let us thirst to grow in Christ, because in him, in Jesus, we have the power to obey every one of these six things. We're going to end this morning with the song, O Church Arise.
And I pray that as individuals and as a church, we will rise up in 2016 and be different. That we will be more like Christ than we've ever been before. Let's pray together. Father, help us in Jesus to change, to be different, to be like him. Lord, let it begin in the very depths of our souls, in the very heart of our minds. Oh, Lord, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and striving and straining toward what's ahead. Oh, Lord, by your grace, by your mercy, give us a great year in Christ in 2016. For we pray in his name. Amen.